thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. Your book is uh, the best British travel writing. It is really exciting. Uh, your publishers were kind enough to send me digital copy, and then I overcome my loathing of reading PDFs to, to dive into it. And the stories, particularly the ones you've highlighted to me, uh, are just spectacular and very different. They, as it's said in some of the preamble in the book, stories about uh, Iraq and traveling in the Middle East can be right up next to having fish and chips in the UK. So you've really taken all different kinds of travel. So I, I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about the stories and the process of putting it together. But before that, while you are not uh, one of the writers in the book, you have an excellent forward there. You are a very well-known and award-winning uh, travel writer uh, in your own right. Do you want to give our audience just a, a bit of an overview of your, your background and how you came to be part of this wonderful world of travel writing? Yeah, sure. And first of all, thank you so much for reading the book. Um, PDFs, I know, are a nightmare. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that, for sticking with it. I've been a travel journalist now for the last few years full time. Um, I came to it as a traveller. I left my graduate job in London. I was working in marketing and I wanted to travel. That's all that was in my mind. I just wanted to get out of my nine to five in London. So I packed a bag and I went to Central America and I, and I traveled through Central and South America. And that was really when I began to read a lot of travel writing and I began to write. And it was kind of, you know, I had no journalist background. I had no degree in journalism. So I was really coming into this with not a lot of experience, well, no experience, actually, no connections in the industry. Um, but I just started pitching my stories on the road that I'd gathered through my travels in Central and South America to magazines, publications. And eventually they did get picked up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how, because some of my early writing, I read through um, a few of my early ones and they are shocking. So please don't Google my name <laughs> pre kind of 20, 2019. But um, yes, I eventually got some commissions and now I do this full time. And I have, you know, been fortunate enough to pick up some really brilliant awards um, and I am up for some awards again this year. So I am very much now full-time travel writer and pre-pandemic I was traveling full-time as well. I did still live out of a backpack and kind of on the move all the time writing on the road. Uh, so the pandemic really did change that. So I was very much a newbie into the industry a few years ago, you know, and this happened, the whole thing with, with COVID. And I'd lost all of my commissions almost overnight, uh, like like most freelance writers out there. And I was really looking for something to get my teeth into while I was had no work. And what did I do? You know, I, I say this in my foreword, I really did take kind of comfort in travel writing while we were all in lockdown. I read more than I'd ever read before because I had more time. And there was just so many brilliant stories that I'd read in magazines, I'd read um, in, in books, and I wanted to find a way to put that all together in, in one anthology. So that's really where the idea started to brew in my mind about uh, starting to get this, this book together. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm kind of trying to put myself in that kind of mindset that you're at, that you, you know, you started this incredible new career, things kind of taking off at a thousand miles an hour, you're, you're winning awards uh, we were actually uh, 
shortlisted beside you for one of one of them, the Travel Media Awards. We got picked up the nomination for, I think, consumer publication. But I didn't make it to the ceremony, unfortunately. Um, oh, next time. But uh, so things are going amazingly. Then all of a sudden, everything just you know, through no fault of your own, shuts down. And of course, you're not the only travel writer in the situation, and you've been in touch with so many. So, what what was going through people's heads at that stage? How were they adapting? What kind of communication were you getting from people who you, you were reaching out to back in uh, the hopefully distant days of uh, early 2020? Yeah, it was a really tough and odd time. I think people were genuinely afraid. We, we didn't we didn't know what um, it was the not knowing how long this was going uh, to go on for. I mean, life as a freelance writer Nathan, you will know you will know this from your own work. Like it's already quite up and down. It's never been a secure job anyway. But to go from having, well, for me, I felt like my career was just taking off, and then overnight, bam, like nothing. And that's very, very terrifying. And even for for people who have been in the industry for for decades, they I felt that they were just as scared at that time because. You know, as a freelance writer, we didn't get a lot of support in the early days of of COVID. And, and there was a lot of fear. But there was also, for me, it was an opportunity to try different things, to grow and to really hone in on my skills as a as a writer and as a reader, most importantly, because I felt there was a gap because I spent so much time writing and traveling. You know, there was more that I could do when it came to reading. And I personally didn't have that community pre-COVID of travel writers. I felt that being a travel writer was quite a lonely world. Um, it's always you and your backpack and you're just pitching to editors. You never actually meet them. Um, that was me because I didn't know that, that, was, that there was all this community. So in COVID, I tried to build that community a lot more. I started an Instagram live series called Inside Travel Media, where I interviewed lots of different travel writers, photographers, editors, live on my Instagram account. Um, I'd never done anything like that before, uh, but it was a huge success. The people that were listening to this were really enjoying it. The, the writers were given an opportunity to reach new audiences through my Instagram account. For me, it was an opportunity to actually get to know different writers and discuss how they were feeling at this time. And it made you feel that, you know, you weren't the only one, you weren't alone, and that travel writers really are, in my opinion, some of the most, you know, they can adapt because that's what we're used to doing. We're used to constantly changing locations. We're used to things going wrong. And that was really inspiring to me. So that was a positive to come out of that. And through those Instagram lives, I did get to uh, meet a lot of new writers that I hadn't uh, necessarily read that much before. And that was all I think, I didn't know it at the time, but contributing to this book. I want to talk a bit about the relevance of travel stories written before the pandemic to now or to the moment when you're putting together the book. Because you know, like we, uh, Intrepid Times, we, we've kept publishing throughout. Um, and whilst we've published right now, more people are doing quote unquote real travel. So there's a lot more fresh material. But at the start, we were mostly publishing stories that took place before uh, lockdown. So kind of in a different world than we were actually living in. And in the, the best British travel writing, the stories are from scrolling through, you see 2017, 2005, 2009. So they very much depict like a, a modern 
contemporary world, but before that radical line in the sand. And one thing I, I totally agree with with you and with your book on is that these stories become more relevant, more important, and not less because of the the world and the circumstances we're in. But not everyone agreed with that. I, I remember when I was, you know, I've made this big thing on our social media, we're still going to keep publishing, send in your stories, it doesn't matter if it's from five years ago. And while most people were on board with that and the community really came together, we got a little bit of pushback from kind of older hands. I'm remembering one email I got from uh, an American travel writer, kind of an older gentleman who said, look, just give it up. No one wants to read about stuff they can't do right now. I just wonder what is your your take on that, how you kind of navigated that emotional journey uh, as you were putting this together? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think this is obviously new territory. We've never really been here before and it's bringing up really interesting discussions. I don't agree with the idea that just because we can't travel, we shouldn't be producing travel writing, we shouldn't be reading travel writing. I do touch on this in my foreword and I I didn't want to dwell on it too long but the point for me and I think this was a discovery for me over lockdown as well because I I did used to think that to travel you've got to be you know you've got to be on the move it's about discovery it's about adventure it's all about new 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 everything's got to be new and exciting and you've got to be able to move and the reality is that the best travel writing that I've read isn't necessarily about oh they're in a new place it's if you dig deeper actually you can learn so much more from a story um just by the way just by the things that you're learning just by the way it's making you feel about a place or a person or an experience and to feel that you don't actually have to be traveling i think the amazing thing about these stories in this book is that it doesn't really matter if you're a traveler or not it's not about Wanderlust. It's not just about Wanderlust, okay? I, I'm hoping that when you finish this book, it does make you want to travel. But the, the point is, is that this isn't a brochure to go on holiday. This isn't about telling you where to go and how to do it. It's not helping you plot this amazing holiday. This is about learning things about places that you might not have even thought about before. And to do that, to learn about a place, you don't necessarily have to be able to go there. You can do that through the words of writers um, and through through their lens. And for me to get the enjoyment out of that and the lessons out of that, you don't need to be traveling um, necessarily. So that's why I don't necessarily agree with the idea that actually, no, let's stop doing travel writing because we can't travel, because travel writing has always been about learning and about bridging barriers between cultures. That's historically for thousands of years, people read travel writing without actually moving anywhere because travel is a huge privilege for people. And it's only now that many, many, many of us now in Western culture, at least, can travel a lot easier because it's a lot more affordable. So for some reason now, we think we only want to, this idea of only wanting to read things that you can physically do, that's travel writing. Whereas I don't agree with it. I think travel writing is much more diverse and complicated than that. And you can definitely get a lot out of it without leaving your home. Yeah, I can completely agree with that. And, and it's not only about the journeys that others may not be able to do or may not have the inclination to do. It's also when one thing that's, that's clearly very consciously and, and well uh, factored in, in in your book, it's also the perspectives of the 
travelers and the travel writer as well. I'll read a very brief quote from one of the stories you selected, which is How I Travel as a Black Woman by Lola Akinmade. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is, for me, travel is about being a sponge. I soak up other cultures with respect, but I also squeeze some of myself and my culture out in return to foster understanding, break down bias and break through prejudices. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly it, isn't it? And those words alone by Lola, that's where the argument is, where the argument doesn't stand for me that you have to be able to travel in order to enjoy travel writing when it's not, because these stories are tackling issues from climate change to racism to identity, religion, belonging. There's so many themes in this book that go way beyond the physical act of traveling. Yeah. That's a beautiful quote. Yes, yeah, so it's a great piece. So your, your book is called The Best British Travel Writing, not simply The Best Travel Writing. And I, I kind of had that in the back of my mind as I, as I was reading it. And I'm wondering, as you're putting together the book or as it came together, as you're reading all the stories, and I'm sure you read many hundreds or thousands of more stories than were uh, eventually selected for uh, inclusion, because that's obviously how these things work. Did it give you kind of a sense of what Britishness means or how Britishness is expressed through travel writing? Because travel writing, you know, is, a, is pretty proud and well on a tradition in the UK. And it probably looks quite different now than it did 100 or 200 years ago when Kipling was roaming about. Yes, yes, definitely. I think the British part, I think the confusion as well, we had a lot of kind of discussions over the title. The title was one of the hardest things um, to to put together for, with this book because there's a few things, obviously. The British part comes because we've asked, we, we had to set some parameters because obviously saying, you know, deciding what the best is, is very very difficult. I mean, no one has ultimate authority on what is the best and what is brilliant because it is very, very subjective. So obviously we had to set some parameters and those parameters were we're going to select stories from British magazines. So that includes magazines like National Geographic Traveller from the UK, Condé Nast Traveller, um, Wanderlust. So we wanted to select ones from the UK. Is there a certain, I think I'm the wrong person to ask this because, you know, I'm half Spanish, half English. I've never felt this sense of, you know, Britishness and, and is the writing. I mean, this the authors in these stories aren't all British. There's people from all over, that live all over the place, are have different nationalities. The British part comes from the publications. They've been published in the UK. So it is very much a global, far-reaching book. It's not, I don't think, necessarily portraying this kind of Britishness. Um, the British comes from, from the publications and the types of stories that UK readers are really interested in that UK publications have, have published over, over the last um, 20 years. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> does that answer your question, Nathan? Yeah, it, it does. I think there's certain decisions you have to make in the publishing process in order to narrow down the entire universe of writing into a, a rational selection and, and focusing on the, the magazines, the British publications makes a huge amount of sense there. Should we talk briefly about the, the process you went through in order to bring the book together? I, I believe writers were invited to submit selections of stories and then you and um, maybe you want to briefly introduce your co-editors as well. Uh, yes. Presumably burned the midnight oil and went through a, a billion cups of tea to figure out which ones eventually <laughs> yes. would uh, would make the cut. 
Yeah, it actually took a lot longer than we planned. It was a really, really tough decision. We put out a call for submissions on social media and through travel writing newsletters and things like that. We invited writers from around the world. They didn't have to be British writers. They just have to have had their stories published in UK magazines between the year 2000 and 2021. They could each submit three stories each. And from there, once we received our submissions and we cut those submissions off, we received hundreds Myself and Simon Wilmore, the chairman of the British Guild of Travel Writers, cut that that list down. We created a long list. And then from that long list, myself, Simon Wilmore, Leverson Wood and Manisha Rajesh, the four of us, we got together and decided on the final selection of stories, which is 30 stories. Leveson Wood is obviously um, a very well-known writer. He has, has got nine best-selling books. He's done travel documentaries. He's wa- walked thousands of kilometres and he's travelled to over 100 countries. Monisha, equally, she has, I'm a huge fan of Monisha. She's written two wonderful books around the world in 80 trains and around India in 80 trains, multi-award winning uh, journalist as well. And Simon, equally, he's written lots of lots of um, guidebooks. He's the chairman of the BGTW and also an award winning travel writer. So Between the four of us, we got our heads together. We're all very, very different writers. We come from very different backgrounds. We read different writing, and that's the reason I try to get as many different perspectives in that editor pool as possible so that we would be able to... um, yeah, to get our heads together and hopefully bring different perspectives. And we did have very different opinions at times, so it did take a little while, but we did eventually agree on these 30 stories. And I'm really proud and really pleased with the result. It's such a great selection. One of the ones by uh, the story Bulls and Scars by Nick Hunt. Um, mm. Nick Hunt is a friend of Intrepid Times. We were lucky enough to have an interview with him when his book Walking the Woods in the Water came out back in 2016. And I was absolutely floored by that story. I'll just read a very brief quote. Uh, it's about traveling uh, in the hinterlands of Ethiopia. And he, he writes, we won't travel by private vehicle, but hitch lifts on trucks supplying the villages deep in the desert. We will sleep in truckers' motels, travel cheaply, and take our chances. We will avoid other tourists. If there's anything designed to get the wanderlust uh, stimulated, it's it's something like that. Yes, that Nick has an incredible way with words and his story balls and scars is is the same it's got great flair um nick has this ability to be very critical be very critical of himself be very critical of other travelers of of just where he is and it, it feels very honest where i think it's very difficult to do you know in my own writing i strive to be very honest but it's very easy as a travel writer to kind of leave things out or you know maybe oh no I won't mention that because that wasn't very exciting or it didn't play up to how I expected to see or experience this place and Nick addresses that uh, in Balls and Scars and you know he says that actually we know nothing and we we can't just come to a place with our preconceptions and that we are as travellers always searching for something and in that crazy bid to find this special something we sometimes 
get lost in that. And I think he actually says that there's a line in Balls and Scars where he says, there's always this sense when traveling, will I find it here? Will the great secret reveal itself? So around every corner, he's kind of wants this amazing thrill of finding this special something when he doesn't really know what that special something is. So it's a beautiful essay. It's multi-layered. One of my favorites in the collection, actually. Yeah, mine, mine too. And I, I think the cover price of the book is worth it for, for that story alone, although there's far, far more than that in it. Uh, speaking of, Jessica, what would be the best way for folks to get a hold of the copy? I believe it's out uh, next month. Yes, it's out on the 10th of March next month. Very exciting. It is actually available to pre-order right now. So you can pre-order on Amazon, Waterstones and WH Smith all online. I believe it's only available um, in the UK at the moment for pre-orders, but it will be available worldwide once it's published on the 10th of March. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a physical coffee. Thank you so much for your time, Jessica. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Brilliant. Thank you, Nathan.